Jam in the AM, we're 12 days away from the election. Hard to believe, huh? I remember when it was 12 months away, but we're 12 days away from the election, and uh, the amazing political commentator and, Alice, and, and, and analyst, Jake Novak, at JakeJakeNY on Twitter, and who is uh, the host of Novak Now every single Monday at 11 a.m., which has been playing to critical acclaim every single week. He's with us live via telephone to talk about the latest regarding the upcoming contest between President Trump and former Vice President Biden. Jake Novak, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Obviously, uh, 10 to 12 days ahead. So thank you. I'll tell you, it's it's hard to believe we finally got to this point. Frankly, <laughs> after everything that's been going on, can is there, is there any way to? And I don't know. We're getting a lot of feedback. Uh, if I don't know if you uh, have us on a certain type of mechanism over there, uh, is there any way to um, to simply get to the core of the issue of why, unlike in previous elections, and I've been around for a while, so I think I could safely state this. Unlike in previous elections, uh, the mainstream media is clearly trying to manipulate this one as much as possible. Number one, do you agree? And number two, why? Well, I do agree. And this has something to do with even before this presidency, although the Trump presidency took us over a, a particular line here, but it was going in that direction for many years, which is... People in journalism right now, especially in television journalism, but at the major newspapers, I think this isn't necessarily so true at the local news level and at smaller newspapers, but at big newspapers and the major television networks, people are coming in as advocates. They're not coming in as journalists. Now, I'm still a person who does not believe that at any time there was any, any such thing as an unbiased reporter or person. That's just not humanly possible. Anyone who says that you can be unbiased, is, is doesn't understand human, human beings. Right. However, there was a level of fairness. There was a level of, I may not really like this other side, but I've got to have the same standards for the way that I report on both sides or on many different candidates. And just in the last week, we've seen how that's long been trashed. You know, we know that innuendo and anonymous source, no evidence stories about President Trump have been reported and put on headlines and made major news for, for four years now. Whereas stories with much, with much, much more evidence behind them and much, much more people willing to go on the record against President Trump's opponents or anyone who isn't President Trump don't get reported. And, of course, they went the extra step of having, attempting to censor those stories, uh, stories about Joe Biden in the last few days. Of course, that's completely backfired, by the way, but it's still <laughs> – that's what we've seen. And there's just no denying this. And, you know, this is a very, this is a very scary place we're going, and it's led by people like – there's a professor at NYU – who's been the chairman of the journalism department in the past, he's still there, who, you know, I used to teach part-time at NYU Journalism, and he used to tell the students in my presence, don't go into news if you, you know, who wants to go into news and be a referee and be like, you know, an unbiased or a middle-ground type person? Be, go and be an advocate. And unfortunately, what he's basically telling them, and what a lot of people in journalism believe now, is go into journalism with your conclusion already made, and just go improve your conclusion by cherry-picking or going after it. That's not journalism, that's advocacy. And I'm, I'm all for advocacy. It's just it shouldn't be uh, disguised as journalists. Uh, Jake Novak is with us. If, in fact, the former vice president benefited from deals with foreign countries or foreign governments or foreign entities, whether they be Russia, Ukraine, China, whoever it may be, 
Um, I would think that this should be a big story that's being reported by at least a number of networks. And I'm not saying all of them, and I'm certainly not saying that, you know, the ones we wouldn't expect would, uh, wouldn't ignore it are not going to ignore it, but some networks at least, and some newspapers, and that there would be some reporters that would bring this up or some moderators that would bring this up when the vice former vice president is in front of them. Why have we seen so little of that? Well, this is what, again, this is the most incredible level of, of how this has got, how, how bad this has become. Uh, it started actually, the, the attempts by journalists at major television networks and newspapers to work together to protect or help a particular candidate. And this is all documented. You know, if, you're, if your listeners don't believe me, please go and look up these terms I'm mentioning. You can find it on the Internet or, or, or elsewhere. But this started a, as a really – as opposed to just something they might say at a cocktail party, wink at each other, uh, intimate. This was actually started – this became a planned outright effort in 2008. There was something called the Journo List, Journo List. There was an email list that was created by a couple of people at a number of different newspapers and television networks to help then-candidate Barack Obama overcome what they thought would be potentially – damning stories about him, negative stories about him coming from, even from places that weren't necessarily right-wing news outlets. And they, and they all talked about how they were going to water down these stories, make sure that they agree that they wouldn't report on them. And I believe that there are still lists like this out there. That was broken up because somebody exposed it, and there are a lot of people. And by the way, almost everybody on that list is still working at journalism. Nobody questions their, their professionalism when it absolutely should be. And so, I, you, know, I, you know, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is very well documented, and I think there's been a very strong effort. However, Nahum, it's backfired. And by that, I mean, it's, I think we know more about, more people are talking about this story, this particular Joe Biden story, which, by the way, if Joe Biden took even one penny from a foreign power or a foreign co- corporate corporation while he was vice president in return for access to him, he cannot be president of the United States. And I'm not saying he's going to lose. I'm not saying anything, really. I'm just saying he can't be president. I mean, he might win the election, and then they're going to have to. It's, he can't. He can't effectively be president, and he really shouldn't even continue to run if this is true. And of course, we're getting people who, who are you know, whether they're personally credible or not, they're too new in the public eye for us to know. But in the story that's in the New York Post today, and the and the Daily Mail in London has picked it up as well. We have someone who is, you know, definitely a business partner of Hunter Biden. That's not refuted, and has definitely knows the details of these deals because. He's described him personally, who was saying that the vice president at the time he was vice president did take money. So again, you know, let's see if this is true, but it's, it, this is a credible, this is a credible allegation from someone who knows the details. It's the uh, so front, anyway, yeah, I was going to say it's a front, front page of the New York Post. If anybody wants to look it up, it's right there. Yeah. Now, I, you know, it's backfired because I saw something really interesting yesterday. There was a town hall type, and it wasn't a town, it was a, it was a report on CBS News with Anthony Mason, and he's talking to a bunch of suburban uh, moms in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, a crucial state in the election. Mm-hmm. And he asked them, hey, what do you think about this Hunter Biden email story? Which, of course, is really a Joe Biden story. It's not just a Hunter Biden story. And you can tell by the way he's asking the question, he's expecting them either, A, not to know much about it, or B, not to care. And the two women who answered are very concerned about it. They talked about how it really bothers them. One woman says she thinks this is a tremendous scandal, and she's absolutely sure that you know the vice president is involved. And then the second woman says she's been concerned about it for years, about Hunter Biden. She says she still doesn't really know if she's going to vote for Trump, and she's really worried about him, too. But, I mean, it was almost laughable, because you could tell that they actually believe that their own mess doesn't stink sometimes. Now. I mean, they think that they've actually 
put a lid on this story. I think they've, they've done the opposite. Now you have people, middle-of-the-road, walk-of-life type of people who know about the story. They're talking about it. Whether it changes votes or not, you know me. I think that people make their decisions very early on in an election cycle. Right. But this is, I think, a huge reason why the polls have tightened, because it's given people a little bit more courage or chizik or whatever you want to say to comment and say they're voting for Trump, whereas even a week ago, they would keep that a secret. If you believe that months ago the majority of Americans made their decision regarding this election, and we know you do, anybody who listens to your commentary knows that we, that you do, uh, then how do you explain the tightening of the election? How do you explain poll watching and seeing numbers fluctuate the way they do? A combination of two things. So first, my favorite little phrase, I like to call it the fake the cause. We decided we're going to vote for pretty early on. Uh, the only two variables that remain up until around Election Day are whether we're going to say it publicly and what our justifications are going to be. And, and very often it's a fake because the real reason we don't vote for somebody, and it's all, all by the way, it's almost always a negative thing. Nine out of ten of us decide who we're not voting for as opposed to really voting for someone and really loving a guy or, or, or a woman who's going to run out. Because no woman has won, has won the election for president, so I don't have to sort of qualify that. But anyway, the point is, I think, I think so we, we decided that we, we've got to say something that everybody has at least heard of. And that's why this, this email story and this laptop story is trying to put a lid on it was so important for a lot of these people. Because you want to be able to say if you voted for Trump and you're worried that people are going to attack you, you want to be able to at least cite a story that everyone's heard of. And I think that it's pretty safe right now to say, yeah, this, this, this Hunter Biden laptop thing, if Joe Biden taking money, I can't, I can't vote for him. I don't really love Trump, but, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to. So that's a pretty good fake because. But there's another reason I want to give a little bit, you know, your listeners a little bit more on that. Also, a lot of the pollsters have, you know, they're not all deliberately trying to get stuff wrong. I don't really think that that's what's going on. They get better at, as the election goes along. It gets a little bit easier for them to find correct people. The, the voter registration rules get updated, you know, and that helps them find people. But at the same time, it's also, it gets harder in a way because a lot of people register at the last minute. And if you've just registered, if you've gone to a Trump rally or a Biden event and you've just registered to vote, the pollsters won't find you. So if, if polls, it's a little bit of a mix. If polls come out for five swing states, do you, do you believe that they sit in the CNN office and say, you know, the two swing states that are that are stable for Biden, we're going to report on the others we're going to ignore? Uh, well, here's a, here's another caveat to that. Remember, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, all those networks, they pay for pollsters. They, 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 they contract polling companies to do their polls, so they are very much financially tied towards promoting not only the polls that they've paid for, but not promoting polls that absolutely contradict the poll that they paid. Ah. Now, I will tell you an insider story. On the day after President Trump won the election, the day after Election Day in 2016, the very big head honcho at CNBC got on the conference call with all of us. His name is Mark Hoffman. And he said, and the first thing he said was, you know, as a business network, one of the things we really should be looking at is whether these polling companies are worth it anymore. Right. And remember, these polling companies don't just work during elections. They also do corporate research in off years. Right. You know, when they're not doing election polling, they're trying to tell Colgate whether their new toothpaste is worth it. Right. And I have to honestly tell you I'm very disappointed because his charge to us as a network and his charge to us as journalists at the time, I, I was at CNBC at the time, I don't think was taken up by my colleagues. I don't think my colleagues seriously listened to him and, and really looked into it, because if, if they had, they would have found a number of problems with polling today. Polling, I think, was incredibly accurate relative, you know, pretty much for a long time, but in this new world of cell phones and people moving around a little bit more, and 
and an active uh, effort by a lot of conservatives to not answer the phone when a pollster calls, thus you get a, a worse and worse sample. I think that really needs to be taken into account. It hasn't been taken into account. And shame on these people who continue to do their jobs and charge big money for what they must know are flawed surveys. Jake Novak is with us. All right, which leads to the two big questions. The first is, um, don't you agree on the subject of polls and exit polls? Don't you agree that that certain research is so reliable, especially on Election Day itself, that for someone to conjecture that we're going to leave Election Day or somewhat close to midnight that night and not have a good idea of the winner is likely not going to be the scenario. Do you agree with that, or are you one of those people who feels that we may get to Wednesday or Thursday before we have a good indication of who won? I think it's looking more and more like we won't be in that um, in that terrible place of not knowing. Uh, now, that has a lot to do with court decisions, Malcolm. We've had a lot of court decisions in a number of states where they have capped the amount of time that, that mail-in votes can be received. That's going to be the big problem. If you have a state where you can send in your ballot up to three days after the election and still have a counted, then you're going to have a problem. Luckily for all of us looking for a resolution, it looks like only North Carolina is a state where three days after the election, if it's postmarked three days, your, your mail-in ballot will be counted. But, you know, even that isn't going to be so bad because we've had such a huge response in, in voter in mail-in ballots already that I really think that they've tapped this out. Uh, I don't think that there. I mean, a, a huge 18-wheeler truck coming in with with both, you know, with mail-in ballots three days after the election is going to be very easily uh, labeled as, as as phony. So I don't think that's going to happen. And I also think that look, we've got a point. We're coming to a point now where we're also counting these. We're getting the totals on the vote-in ballots and the early in-person voting in a number of states. If you're interested in seeing how this election is going to be in the next few days, look at these numbers from Florida. Florida is posting every day from every county what the voter, you know, the mail-in ballot totals are and what the in-person early voting totals are. And they don't tell you who voted. They don't tell you Trump or Biden, but they'll tell you Republican or Democrat. And you can pretty much guess that they'll pretty much vote along party lines. Right. And if the Democrats don't have a 200,000 or 220,000 vote edge by Election Day, in the combined vote by mail, and in-person early voting, then they're not winning Florida. And I think that even by this weekend, in some cases even by tonight, but even by this weekend, we'll be able to tell whether they're going to hit that number. Very interesting. Exactly the opposite of what so many people thought in terms of the timing of this thing. Exactly. So, you know, listen, I have... you know, your listeners, who especially people who listen to my show, they know I, I am a huge fan of the state of Ohio being the real bellwether for elections and more. But this election is a little bit different because the Biden people have told me that my sources in this campaign for a year have told me they're betting everything on Florida. Florida is everything. And if we get to Friday or Saturday or Sunday and they can see they're not going to hit that advantage that they need to have by Election Day in the early voting then you'll see it in their faces, Malcolm. You'll see it in the way they're talking. They will—they can still win without Florida mathematically. Right. Can you, when you put everything into a state and you don't get it, it's, it's, it takes the air out of you. Yeah, yes or no, do you think Trump could win Minnesota? Yes. No, wow. I think it, and, 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 you know, I was, I, I was going to tell you, if you had asked me yesterday, I would have said toss-up. But yesterday we got the Senate poll out of Minnesota. There's a, there's a, there's a, a Democrat running, uh, the woman who took over for Al Franken, if those of you remember that scandal. She's running for a, 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 a full term in her own right. But she's an incumbent senator with all that power behind her. That race is a complete toss-up. The latest poll has her up only by one point, which means it's a toss-up. 
And if, that, if a Republican is out, you know, is going to win that Senate race or make it that close, then I think Trump could very well. I mean, if I really right now, I would say he's going to win Minnesota, and that gives him a lot more electoral college uh, math, 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 you know, possibilities to win. Well, the electoral map is the key, and everybody, uh, <laughs> everybody's got an opinion about the electoral map and how it looks. How does the Novak electoral map look right now, twelve days before the election? I think it's going to be. Very similar to last time. By the way, it's very rare that you have a carbon copy election. So it won't be. So the first thing I want to tell you, listeners, is it won't be the same as last time. 306 Trump, 232 Hillary, or you know, in this case, 232 Biden. It's not going to be the exact same. I think I think there's a very good chance that, that Donald Trump will lose one of the states that he won in 2016. I think the state that's most in danger for him is North Carolina, uh, possibly also Pennsylvania. But I think he's also going to pick up potentially Minnesota. I think he's got a good chance to win in New Hampshire. The only reason why he lost New Hampshire in 2016 is because busloads of people, literal busloads of people from Massachusetts illegally voted in New Hampshire. The governor of New Hampshire is a Republican who's going to make sure the buses don't come in this time. He's going to use COVID-19 as an excuse for that. <laughs> right. So that's another four that he's going to pick up. I think it's going to be similar in number, but the map will look a little bit different. So I still think that Donald Trump will get about 300 electoral college votes, and I think that Joe Biden's looking at around 240, something like that. And, and that's going to be that. I so, don't think, you know, listen, I know that the polls have said otherwise, most of them have said that, but not the ones that were right. The polls that were right in 2016 have been saying what I'm saying right now. So I'm at a wedding last night, and in the span of a five-minute conversation, we have, you know, <laughs> Trump winning in the first 30 seconds and then Biden in the next 30. I mean, you know, like every, everyone is everyone is, is having difficulty predicting this. You are ready 12 days before the election to predict that he's going to win a second term, which means... God knows how those who hate him, both media and and radical, uh, violent groups, are going to react to this election. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that the, that the one silver lining out of these horrible events this summer and the riots this summer will be that there will be more preparedness from, the, from law enforcement and, and, and people like that who will be more prepared for it this time. Also, maybe the, the, the folks who did it will be a little bit more tapped out. You know what's you know, going to happen, the, the, though? No, no I, agree, I agree with both those yeah. things, and I hope you're right. Yeah. Boy, do I hope you're right, although it could happen over a span of days, not just on Election Day. Yeah. And I'm sorry for interrupting, sure. but what might be more frustrating, no. and obviously we pray for everyone's safety first, but what might be more frustrating is you know what the accusations are going to be on Tuesday night if he wins. I mean, we're going to have to sit through you know, the mainstream media letting us know how horrible we are, those who may have supported the president, mm-hmm. and how, you know, how racist this country is. And, and every issue that's completely irrelevant that they just you know that they just you know paint uh, you know paint the candidate with and paint the party with uh, in order to distract everybody from the real issues we're, we're gonna have to they're gonna be doubling down on all of that we're gonna have to sit through that you know ten times what we used to have to yes and I think you know this and by the way you, you have just been you know summarized which has always been the Achilles heel of the new Democratic Party starting with it's, you know, Barack Obama flirted with this, and her Hillary Clinton did, and of course the, the Biden folks have done as well. Listen, one of the rules of politics for that everyone followed for a long time until I guess 12 years ago was you never attack the voters. You can be as nasty as you want about the other candidates, but you don't say the other side's voters are evil. You don't say the other side's voters are stupid. You don't say the other side's voters are cheaters. You just don't do that. You say that about the candidate. You say that about the the campaign. You don't say that about voters. And it backfires every time. Now, the only thing, it didn't backfire all that much on Barack Obama because when he said his famous line in 2008 that the other side is a bunch of people who are clinging to their Bibles and their religion and their guns, 
It actually was not reported until several months after he said it. It was a little audio recording. It didn't really get out as well. But think about the Mitt Romney, 47%, right. which he said, he basically, you know, that was, a, it, it didn't, wasn't, you know, he was already going to lose, but it was a really stupid thing for him to say. Right. Hillary Clinton, the basket of deplorables, and Joe right. Biden called, saying that, you know, that, that, that I guess he said about 10 to 15% of the whole country is racist. He said it again last night, by the way. He came out with an audio message that he put on Twitter and social media and the internet talking about how America has never been great. And, and, wh- how, and know, wh- we have a racist past. And what was more, in, and what was more insulting, I would say to not only uh, 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 black people, but I think to everybody when he said, you're not black, if you don't vote democratic, I, yeah. I, I thought that was insulting to the entire country, frankly. It was, but you know, and so we're so polarized right now that it did, you know, that would immediately disqualify a candidate 30 years ago, but now you can sort of spring by, but I think it's one of the things that really hurts. I, 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 listen, all those things you're saying are true. The fact is that you can't, this is like, listen, this is like living in Israel. Like, you know, is Israel going to do something and worry that the terrorists are going to get crazy about it and start right. a riot? Or you, you have to do what you have to do. If you oh, but, by, by the way, the bullies, by, by the way, yeah. I, I'm, I'm predicting riots no matter who wins. So it's not like, you know, <laughs> I, I think right. it matters, you know, what's going to happen at the polls. But uh, no matter right. who, but, you, um, you, you know, you, 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 you know, when, when hockey teams win the uh, NHL championship, <laughs> uh, their yeah. their people burn down the city also. So it's not just losers right. that burn down the city. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I think, you know, listen, I'm hoping that this summer's violence will, will have tapped out some of that stuff and also given the police a little bit more logistical um, intelligence on how to stop it. Right. And, you know, but remember, but, but you should know, even though we're, we're taking this as a, as, a, as a given, it's still manufactured. Right. I, I remember the morning after Donald Trump won, even before that call at CNBC, a couple of guys walking in the street in Manhattan, I overheard their conversation. They were not Trump voters, and they were just talking about it. They were laughing about the result. They were like, oh, you know, this guy's fine. This was, and then a few days later, we're supposed to believe that the whole city was up in arms and wanting to burn the place down. Right. This is manufactured outrage. Most Americans, even in this highly political, angry state that we seem to be in, most Americans aren't on Twitter and Facebook all day getting angry. To have these, these, this stuff is is manufactured outrage, manufactured stuff, and let's see if they still you know want to want to do that. They really want to put all that stuff together. Remember, as soon as you you have a second term president in office, it's time to start working on finding a new candidate for both parties for twenty twenty four. So maybe they'll be a little bit more distracted this time because they've got to do that, and they can't just protest the president is going to be leaving anyway. Understood. Maybe that's the thing. Jake Novak on the Nahum Siegel Network, Mondays at 11 a.m. In 12 days, we'll know if you're right, Jake. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Have a great week. Thursday, Again. Appreciate that. Thursday morning broadcast. More coming up here at JM the